Um, if you have uh, this, if you have a Bible or have uh, an app or something, it'd be helpful to keep it open tonight. We'll be kind of jumping a little bit back and forth. There's a lot of verses here. Uh, we'll obviously be summarizing this this passage, but. Before we do, I want to tell you, uh, two years ago, I was, uh, we were driving back about this time, maybe a week or two earlier, uh, from Missouri, seeing some family, and uh, driving through nowhere, Arkansas, and I'm in the minivan, and the kids are watching the movie, and Katie's, uh, don't remember what she was doing, but certainly wasn't paying attention to me, and I'm driving, and uh, no, no one's on the road, and all of a sudden, you see the blue lights in the background, you know? And the state trooper pulls me over, and uh, I, get, I get a speeding ticket. And, uh, and so I'm angry, I'm grumpy, you know, and uh, I'm mad at myself all the way home. And I say something like this, I will never do that again, right? I'm so mad. Uh, now, I haven't gotten speeding tickets in many years. Uh, and I got that ticket uh, cruising in the Mini, and uh, no less than two weeks later, uh, I'm going to lead a noontime prayer meeting and uh, get off the interstate on the ramp, off the ramp, and uh, I'm going a, a ferocious 12 miles an hour over, and I see the blue lights again, and I pulled over, and I'm just sitting there. I started to be like, I'm, I'm going to a prayer meeting. I just visited a shut-in. I started to give them all these reasons, and I realized, you know, I'm guilty. I'm guilty. Twice in two weeks, I'll never do it again. Um, you know, we, we love the stories of a changed life. We love the, the radical shift. Uh, we hear uh, the, you know, the testimony, I was a, I was a drug dealer, um, you know, I was in jail, uh, you know, I was uh, in a prostitution ring, and then I came to know Jesus, and then life shifted, and smooth sailing, and we all rejoice, right? We love to hear that story, and we do, praise God for that, but what happens... Uh, uh, when the person goes back to the addiction or to the struggle. They came out of the lifestyle or uh, they moved away from the addiction and then there's rejoicing and, every, and then they go back to it. We're kind of like, hmm. There's a sense of judgment, outcry. Um, we condemn. Um, if you're cynical like me, you say, I, I told you there wasn't any change. It was all fake. It wasn't real to begin with. Um, what's our response? You know, I, many of you saw the, I've seen the very public conversion of Kanye West and uh, his, new, uh, his new album, you know, Jesus is King. And um, he's very outspoken. And, and many of you know his lifestyle beforehand and the things he was doing and the types of music and the, all the things he was involved in. And now he's had this shift and it's very public and it's very... Uh, seen, invisible, and he's on all these shows. Uh, but what's going to happen when he struggles? When he falls? Uh, and he will, at some level. There'll be an outcry, you know. There'll be hypocrisy. There'll be tweets about him. Um, there'll be, I told you, it wasn't real. Um, there'll be outrage. And certainly, we need to be outraged at uh, sin of all types, and we need to repent of it, and we need to be grieved about it. But here's the truth. The truth of it is, is that we are all repeat offenders. You know, the, the judge is harsher when you've, you've come before him the second time, and the third time, and the fourth time, and you start to have a rap. 
sheet. And we're just fortunate that we're not uh, Kanye in the public eye or Abraham in Scripture to see that Abraham has done it again. Leads us to our first point. The failure, the failure of the righteous. What does Abraham do? If you weren't here with us, you may not remember. Chapter 12, Abraham goes down to Egypt, and he's there, and he says, Sarah, let's say, uh, Sarah's his wife, let's say you're my sister. We're brothers and sisters because I'm afraid. And so Pharaoh takes Sarah into his harem. Uh, the Lord intervenes and protects her. Um, but the father of faith lies, and the Lord protects him and covers him up. Now we're a few chapters later, and once again, it says, Abraham journeyed toward the Negev, between Kadesh and Shur, sojourn in Gerar, and Abraham said of Sarah, his wife, she is my sister, and Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent and took Sarah. I'll never do it again. And he's done it again. The father of faith. Let's recount his failure just to get a, a good idea. He repeats the lie. To protect himself because of his own uh, concern, he says, she's my sister, not my wife. Secondly, he puts Sarah in position to be dishonored, to be mistreated, to be violated. You remember Lot last week offering his daughters? And now we've got Abraham. The two godly men aren't treating the, the women too well, are they? <laughs> Not a model here of how to engage uh, the opposite sex. He lies. He puts Sarah in a compromised position. Further, he jeopardizes the covenant promises of God. It will be through your seed that the world will be blessed. Through your seed, your line will become salvation. It would ultimately be in Jesus and this uh, woman who's going to bear this child is now in the harem of the pagan king, Abimelech. What if she gets pregnant with him? What's going to happen? He has jeopardized the covenant. Oh, Abraham. <clears throat> it gets worse. There are sins of commission that we do, things we actively do, and there are sins of omission, which we don't do what we're supposed to do. Abraham has forgot his calling. Why was Abraham chosen, do you remember? He was chosen, he was elect by God for the purpose of being a blessing to the nations. He was the vehicle through the world. The pagan, non-believing world was going to receive a blessing by being in proximity or in connection to Abraham. And those that treated Abraham well, the Lord would bless. And those that treated Abraham poorly would be cursed. And here, Abraham, the one that's supposed to bless, has put Abimelech in a very tough situation to where the Lord is going to curse him if he comes anywhere near Sarah. He puts Abimelech in the position of adulterer. And the Lord in verse 3 says this to Abimelech, the, the pagan king, Behold, you are a dead man. You don't ever want to hear that from the Lord, just FYI. You are a dead man because of the woman whom you have taken, for she is a man's wife. 
application for us. The, the people of God, the chosen, the, the people in his church, when the, we encounter the world, they should be blessed by us. When they are with us, there should be an aroma. There should be a goodness. There should be a, whether they profess faith, whether they believe what we believe, because they're in proximity to us, God's people, they should be, there should be a sweetness of us to them. At a church when I lived in St. Louis, there was a, a doctor, and he was a part of our group and uh, men's group, and really enjoyed him and got to know him and thankful for him. He was very pleasant at church. Um, but if you talk to anybody that worked for him, nurses, assistants, other f- doctors in the, in the group, uh, he was a total jerk. It was, it was the known reputation of the man. The, the churchman uh, was not a blessing at work. He was a curse. He was a, a, he was a stumbling block for others because of his engagement. See, as we engage Midtown, as we engage our neighbors and our co-workers, we're supposed to be light and salt to them. Abraham has failed in his calling to bring goodness to the world. Um, if you have kids, you know, they do what I do. If you have kids and you're going to discipline them, they say, I promise I'll never do it again. And you know it's going to be like four minutes and it's going to be doing it again, Right? The arrogance, the lack of awareness of our own heart. And so we want to get to the heart of this. Um, Because we are all repeat offenders, and sin is a battle. Romans 7, which Anna read, is that uh, it says we we do what we don't want to do. We don't do what we want to do. And and the same person, there's this battle with the flesh and the spirit. And so we're at war and we're called to put to death sin. And yet it's a struggle. And so we have to put it to death by getting to the core. If your doctor uh, does a checkup, he's looking for the symptoms to help understand what? What's the core? What's the problem he doesn't just treat the symptoms. He wants to know what's underneath it so we can deal with it. It's the why question. That's why I want The failure of Abraham goes deeper than just the things I've mentioned. It goes to the heart. Listen to this in verse 10. When Abimelech is confronted by the Lord, he says to Abraham, what, do you, what did you see that you did this thing? Abraham said, I did it because I thought. There is no fear of God at all in this place. And they will kill me, kill me because of my wife. Besides, she's indeed my sister, the daughter of my father, though not the daughter of my mother, and she has become my wife. You see the last part, it's kind of like, you know, you start on this trail of sin, you start justifying yourself and defending yourself. Well, she's kind of, she kind of is my sister, you know, and the, everybody in the ancient Near East is related, you know. <laughs> uh, you know, she sort of is. Okay, she's your wife. Sin, you're caught. The reality of it is, what does he say? I... I thought you were godless people and didn't fear God, so I was afraid. I was afraid. Um, The God-fearing yet unrighteous king rebukes the father of faith for his fear. How about that? He was afraid. I thought there was no fear. Fear is so often at at the bottom, underneath of our sin. There should be a fear. It should be a fear of God. Instead, he's afraid of man. 
if I go there with Sarah and I, and I, and I say to my wife, then he's going to kill me. And he's worked it all out, but he's forgotten that what? God has called him. It's fear. Why, why do we lie? Why do, why do you lie? Because you do. Or it's like a half-truth. It's shaded. We're afraid. We're going to lose something. Maybe it's a tax form. Maybe it's dollars. Maybe it's reputation. Maybe it's uh, possession of some sort. It's fear. Why do, uh, is there, do we sexually deviate? It's pornography or it's extramarital relationships. There's what? There's fear. Maybe more than fear, but there's fear. God's not going to come through for me. God's not going to meet my need. I'm afraid he won't meet this desire that I have. Why do we gossip and slander about other people? I fear I'm not enough. And so one way I feel better about myself is if I talk bad about you, I lower you and I elevate myself. Right? It's fear. Uh, Why do we get angry and have fits of rage? Because we fear we're not getting what we want. Or we're, we fear we're not in control and we can't make it happen and so we lose our temper, right? Fear and pride, really, are at the core of all of our sins. Abraham, the, the father of the faith, has failed miserably and fear is at the heart of it. What's the fear of your, behind your sin? Ask the question. Don't, don't stay on the surface. Stop doing it, stop doing it, stop doing it, stop doing it. What's going on in your heart that you're so afraid of that you don't believe God's goodness is there for you? That's the first thing. It's the failure of the, the righteous. But the good news for Abraham and for repeat offenders like me and you is that um, there is the providence of God. The providence of God. We'll talk about that term in a second. Verse 3 says this. God finds out. God knows. God came to Abimelech in a dream by night and said to him, Behold, you are a dead man because of the woman whom you have taken, for she is a man's wife. Now Abimelech had not approached her, so he said, Lord, will you kill an innocent people? Did he not himself say to me, she is my sister, and she herself say, he is my brother? In the integrity of my heart and the innocence of my hand, I have done this. I love how he takes credit for that. Because then God said to him in a dream, Yes, I know that you have not done this, that you have done this in the integrity of your heart. And it was I who kept you from sinning against me. Therefore, I did not let you touch her. Now then, return the man's wife, for she is a, he is a prophet, so that he will pray for you, and you shall live. But if you do not return her, know that you shall surely die, you and all who are yours. Verse 18 says, The Lord had closed the womb of the house of Abimelech because of Sarah Abraham's wife. There, there are two aspects of providence. First, the aspect is that God acts for us. I have kept you from sinning. I have closed the womb. I protected my people. Um, sovereignty is the big theological term we mean for God is over all things. He's all-powerful. He's all-knowing. He rules and reigns. He has rights and privileges over all things to do what he wants to do because he is the Lord. 
His providence is that narrowing down into time and space in our lives by which he governs and cares for us day by day, holding our hand, caring for us, meeting us, walking with us, providing for us. And here, though Abraham is sinning, God's providence, his hand is there acting for his people. See, many of us believe God, but we live sort of as deists. You know what deists are? Um, it's that idea, it's the, it's, the, it's the faith of, you know, Benjamin Franklin and Thomas Jefferson. Um, you know, God's there, but he's the watchmaker. You know, there's intelligence to this world. You, you can't help but see the order and seasons and the body. And Okay, there's a God, but he, he started the watch and then he backed away and he's, he's removed. You know, he's on, you know, eternal vacation. He's unconcerned. He, he, he's not involved. He's certainly not near. We believe that. We live that way. This text is contrary to that. God is every bit involved, which means he's, he's involved in your life. He cares about your job at, at the school. He cares about your relationships. He cares about your financial situation. He cares about your struggles. He cares about your ailing mother. He, ca- he cares about your worries and fears, and he's there. God is involved. He goes to war for his people. Now, some of you are saying, um, yeah, but what about when God's people aren't protected? I know a friend that was maybe not in this situation, but she was actually violated, or she was mistreated. A couple of things. One, to speak to Sarah, is she is, let's go back, unique, and that she is bearing the, the covenant seed, right? The promise will be through Sarah, so there's uniqueness. But the struggles and the, the difficulties we face do not mean God's not there, God's not present. God's providence means God's presence. It means that uh, we're not guaranteed easy life. There are Christians right now uh, being killed in other parts of the world. Right now, and right now, and right now, and right now, they're being killed. Well, where's God's providence there? He's there. And God cares. His providence means that he will not leave us, and he will take us to the end. Romans 8, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword, all of which Christians face? No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor heights nor depths nor anything else in all creation will be able, here's providence, to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. His providence means His eternal presence with His people. God is with us. God is with us. And He will bring us home in the end. Providence also means uh, that our sin is personally violating to Him. Um, His providence means He's near, and so when He's near, it means our sins are to a person. Listen to what he says in the text again. He tells Abimelech, I kept you from sinning against me. Wait a second. I thought it was Sarah. I thought she was the one. What, what, 
I mean, it's Sarah's body, right? Or Abraham's wife. Abimelech would have sinned against Sarah. He would have sinned against Abraham. Now he says, I kept you, Abimelech, from touching her, which would have been sinning against me. You see how personal it is? He's not, he's not deist. He's not off there somewhere. He's actually here, and it's personal. You see, that's union with God. Jesus would say something like, if you feed the least of these, you fed me, right? But we, in thinking about the other side of the cross, are in such a union with Christ that if it happens to Christ, it happens to us. That's why we're, we're buried with him in death, and that's why we already experienced resurrection life. Because he's gone through it, then we've gone through it. And if we go through it, he goes through it. We're in relationship. And this is why all of our sin is first and foremost against God. He is the primary one that we offend. This is important. Um, sometimes we can dismiss our sin. We say, well, it didn't hurt anybody, right? Uh, you know, uh, if it's private or it, it's, my, it's my body or uh, no, no one else is involved, we think somehow it becomes sin if, if we end up hurting another person. That's the line of thinking, right? But this is not how it is. Same thing with David. I've sinned against you and you only, he says. It's Godward. Um, my own story is, um, at high school I was disillusioned with faith, you know, uh, I thought every Christian was a hypocrite, I, I, I was, I certainly thought everyone else was, I was disgruntled, um, and uh, I went to college and met these guys that were really strong Christians, and they were talking about Jesus, and, and, um, and I was, uh, you know, I was playing baseball in college, and the guys I was around, I mean, they were, you know, this was a mess, so they were talking to me about Jesus, these couple guys, and I'm like, you see what these guys are doing? I mean, <laughs> you see how they're living? I'm feeling pretty good about myself, you know? I mean, I'm not doing that and that and that. I'm a pretty good guy. Isn't that the story? So many of us in the South. <laughs> our, our standard is somehow other people. Our righteousness is a sort of morality grade. Who's got more? This says against me and me only point of reference is the Lord. Our sin is against him. And so even one of our sins is grievous and great. And there are many of my sins and many of yours. The standard is the Lord. He is personally involved. It's his providential care. And here, good news for Abraham, because he overrides his foolishness and his sin to protect his wife Sarah. So we see the failure of Abraham, but we see, thank goodness, God's providential hand. And finally, we see part of that providential hand is God rein, reinstates Abraham. He reengages him in his calling. Um, when we know God's presence in our lives, we can reengage in calling, even in the midst, even despite our sin and struggle. The irony of this story, I hope you catch it, is that the man of faith is the one that fails, and the one that doesn't have faith has somewhat of honor and integrity. Abimelech, even when he leaves, when he finds out, he says, here, take a bunch of animals and servants, and he gives him a, gives her, gives him a thousand pieces of silver, which was like a ton of money. It was an idea of like, 
she's fully vindicated. I haven't touched her. She hasn't been harmed. Her reputation is clear. She's okay. I'm okay. Here's all this money. Like he, the pagan one, is blessing the people of God here. But it's Abraham's calling to bless the nations. It's his calling. He has a role. Verse 7. God says, the Lord shall return. He says, the Lord says, return his wife, for he is a prophet, so he will pray for you and you shall live. He's, he's failing right now, and the Lord's talking to the one that he's sinning against, who's actually being sort, sort of honorable and saying, you need to do, return his wife so he can do something well for you and pray for you. You see this? The, the, the church is called to bless, not because we've really got it all together, but that's because we're called to do. Do you see that? It, it, means, it means it's just bigger than us. Abraham at the end. Abraham prays to God, and God healed Abimelech and also his wife and female slaves, so they bore children. So God providentially oversees it, but he uses it, he does it through the gifts and the intercession of his people. Which means, as jacked up as we are, we have a calling. Like If you came tonight thinking, man, I want to be around some really good people that are kind of squared away and their lives are really great, then I'm going to go to that church. Wrong place. We're repeat offenders. And even if we look good on the outside, we know our own hearts in private and our own struggles, and that's us. And yet, we have a calling. It's a calling to bless, to pray, to intercede. If you belong to Jesus, you've been called in this world to bless. Your coworker. you're called to pray for them. And your neighbor that you know is struggling, you're called to, to, to reach out and to, to be light and to, to seek to love. It's our calling. Does sin damage that calling? Yes. Does sin disqualify us? It can. Certainly certain roles in the church, sin disqualifies us. Yes. Um. Does repeat offending mar our witness? Absolutely. How many people you talk to, right, that don't believe? The church is just too, too many messed up people, right? We ought to say, yeah, you're right. But we have grace, and God's doing something. But yeah, it hurts. So this is not an excusing of sin. Like, sin doesn't matter. God doesn't care. No, God cares deeply. It's against Him, remember? But this story... Is here because Abraham did it again. He's the one we're supposed to look to to get it right, and he keeps failing in the same way. It says what? He's not the hero of the story. We're not studying Genesis 12 to 25 because we're so happy about how great Abraham is. We're celebrating because God is the hero because this is based, our mission, our work, our salvation is based on the work of Christ and the character of God. And that is our hope. It is a triumph of grace 2 Timothy 2.13 says, If we are faithless, 
which we are, He remains faithful, for He cannot disown Himself. No matter how much we mess it up, He has bound Himself by His own character to be faithful to His covenant promises. Is that good news? That is good news. You should get the wine out right now and start partying. That's good news. Don't take sin lightly. Don't sweep it under the rug. God's serious about it. You've known the damage of sin in your own life. But grace triumphs where sin fails. The righteous Abraham fails. God engages. God covers in his providential care. And then God says, you know what? Abraham, go pray for these people. And he does it, and God heals them. God didn't need Abraham to pray. God called him to, and he calls us to pray and to minister and to love our neighbors, our co-workers, even as misfits, we're called to engage. That's who the church is. That's why we're here in Midtown. May that be so of us. For the sake of the world and for the glory of God, let's pray. Jesus, thank you for, uh, it's too good to be true. Most of us struggle to believe it because it's just too, it's too good. And yet we confess tonight that it's true. That where sin abounds, that grace abounds all the more. I pray that, Lord, we would live in that tension of taking sin so seriously. And yet knowing that grace always outruns our sin. May we know that. May we live in that. And may we live into the calling to which you have for us. To be a light. To be a blessing to our neighbors, to this city, to wherever you take us. May it be so, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you please stand?